I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hello, I'm Bruce Boxleitner of Lantern City. I'm Tron, and you're not. And you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. I'm your host, Cap, and this is a very special episode of Nerdy Show, especially for you X-Files fans out there. This episode, we're speaking with the team behind X-Files Season 10, the ongoing comic series from IDW. We're talking to comic writer Joe Harris, editor Denton Tipton, and the man himself, X-Files creator Chris Carter. My usual nerdy show co-conspirators are away on special assignment, but that's okay, because I made a few calls and pulled in some specialists. First, we got Mike Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound and a writer at Time.com. He uh, recently published an article about X-Files called X-Files 20 Years Later, The Nine Best Episodes. Hey, what's going on? This is totally normal. This is just day-to-day, regular <laughs> old interview, Chris Carter, no big deal. Yeah, it's totally casual. Yeah, business casual. And also, we've got Nina Bernadakis. Nerdy Show fans may know Nina as uh, the woman who runs the Ghostbusters Firehouse in our Ghostbusters role-playing series, Ghostbusters Resurrection. She's been on a couple Nerdy Show things in the past, but uh, this is her first full-length episode, I think. Yeah. She is a huge X-Files fan, but also the founder of a large X-File meetup in London. Welcome to the show, guys. And uh, full disclosure, Mike and I did grow up watching the show together. That is true. How, how old were you guys? How old were we when the show started? Oh, God. What, nine years old, maybe? Nine or ten? Yeah, it was nine, because all my years are basically <laughs> uh, tallied around movies and uh, album releases. So that was Jurassic Park year. So, 90, yeah, <laughs> 93 is, ni- is nine years old. That was my ninth birthday. It was funny. Uh, Cap, uh, his parents did not like him watching things on Fox, like uh, The Simpsons or The X-Files. So I was kind of his escape in a way. Well, yeah, you were the guy, you know, like the house you go over to watch rated our movies, the, the house yeah. you go over to, if you want to like, maybe look at some pornography. I'm not saying you, you had a monopoly on that, but, but yeah. definitely wasn't happening at my house. No, my mother was too busy um, to be PC here, we'll say sleeping. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we could do whatever we want on the internet uh, and on the TV. And the X-Files was like, kind of like what spoke to us, though. It was basically one of those shows that any kid kind of latches on for escapism. We grew up loving urban legends. We grew up lo- loving mythology. And we all grew up just loving the, the fantastical. Yeah, no, that's fun. very true. I mean, as young nerd types, we have an ongoing love affair with the fantastical. 
the X-Files, obviously, we're here in 2013. We're still talking about it. It was at one point the longest running sci-fi series of all time. And it's certainly one of the best regarded sci-fi series of all time. And season 10, if you guys, dear listeners, are not aware, the series is being continued via this IDW comic written by Joe Harris. But the reason we're doing this episode is that, depending on when you're listening to this, the first collection is either just about to come out or is out, and you should totally follow the link on this episode's page to buy it, because I love it. And this has filled a void in my life with uh, much-needed X-Files, so... The series is awesome, and I'm really looking forward to talking with uh, the entire creative team behind it. Of course, and it's spearheaded by Chris Carter. Uh, He's executive producer of the comic series. We'll really get the gist of it when we talk to them, like how exactly this whole process worked out. But, uh, you know, much in the vein of Buffy the Vampire Slayer continuing in seasons eight and nine, which are both comic book series, uh, Smallville continuing... It's a trend. A comic is is the best format to continue something that has, uh, you know, problems like studio financing and crap like that, that just slows down people doing creative stuff. It's so easy now to say, gosh, TV's great. I mean, every network has a flagship television program right now. And it wasn't like that years ago. And there was only that one main event. And there used to be only room for kind of one event series. And it that didn't really change until, God, I don't know, maybe a, a little over a decade ago. Because I mean, even in the 90s, like, it, you know, you'd have Fox and then you'd have your must-see television on NBC. But there's always that water cooler moment that that was supposed to happen. Yeah, and, just, a, just a couple of dudes hanging out in an office talking about television at the water cooler. Yeah. And I, and I think X-Files was a big catalyst for that. And so was Miami Vice. And so was especially Twin Peaks when everybody was trying to figure out who the hell killed Laura Palmer. But um, I do will always point back to The Twilight Zone. I do consider it one of the greatest, if not the greatest television show of all time, if only for its serialized writing. I mean, like really the only continuous aspect was it's either macabre twists or Rod Serling. I think that was such a spin on being creative and also creating a following through the television. I I don't really know of a show. I mean, everybody loved Lucy. Everybody loved Bewitched. But I don't know if people were that obsessed with it as they became with like the Twilight Zone. It was way out of normal U.S. TV landscape, you know, just something that completely took people out of it. I mean, major escapism that I think they probably needed. And I think probably every generation since has kind of needed that. Absolutely. I I can't remember the timeline, but I'm pretty sure Twilight Zone was before Star Trek on television, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was in black and white. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is what Nina just said. I mean, I I do think that unknown, that wanting to know the unknown did start there. The point of the unknown on television. X-Files did bridge that mystery that's kind of more straightforward and grounded in reality with the unknown. Like, I think that improved upon like Twin Peaks easily. I mean, Twin Peaks was just all craziness, whereas X-Files did have that kind of sense of reality versus the unknown, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it could sustain itself for longer because it was, in theory, grounded by comparison to, say, the metaphysical magic elements of a show like Twin Peaks, whereas X-Files, the lead characters are two people who they're put in a position to experience things well beyond their knowing. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they're stand-ins for the audience they're they're seeking the truth whatever yeah, that might and it's, be. it's always point and counterpoint nobody can really look at x-files and say you know oh, this crazy show like with all its crazy theories and all of that because there's always one person at least disputing those theories <laughs> you know and you always get to see both sides of the story which is what is really appealing you can really make up your own mind I think it helped make the world 
a little bit nerdier because mm-hmm. it was it was such a massive success it invited everybody to connect with the the new mythology of uh, of extraterrestrials it's become such a thing and i mean x-files capitalized on this in a huge way but it's a stand-in for um mankind looking up at the stars and asking questions that but we're asking questions about science fiction creatures rather than like gods and demons the x-files took the 20th century mythology boiled it down into an accessible show that everybody could embrace and in a way invited everybody into the world of sci-fi even if they were a skeptic about the genre and i love Mulder, and Mulder is my favorite character of all time up there next to dr peter vinkman but um i i think that um scully is ultimately the most important part of the the entire television show if it wasn't for her character i mean i don't think the show ever would have worked i mean it's more on her than it is for Mulder. if only because the show would have just been i feel another twin peaks maybe if they didn't have the scully character because there is no scully character in twin peaks no there is no grounded character other than maybe the sheriff but truman gets into it truman's like like, yeah man i I see where you're coming from let me get some of this punch you're drinking (laughs) yeah you know scully is the viewer you know you're not going to buy into Mulder yet the way i always saw it was that well both characters are obviously very integral to the entire story and you know later on obviously scully had to kind of carry the show throughout season eight and she sort of adopted the Mulder role by becoming more open to everything that, you know, because she's seen so much, you know, literally, and then Dogget had to basically come in there and be Scully, for lack of a better term. I guess I thought about it a lot before I came in here today, but I always, the way I always figured is Scully's the brain of the show, Muller's the heart. That's uh, how I always saw it, you know, it kind of can't really, you know, do one without the other. It doesn't really work. I would agree with that. The heart and the brain thing, that's a great analogy for that. Mike, your uh, your article on time, where you listed what you feel are the nine best episodes, you you came up with the scariest, funniest, best Mulder episode, best Scully episode, most imaginative, best mythology episode, best standalone, best post Mulder, best villain, best guest star. <laughs> it was a really enjoying read. We'll link to where people can read it on this episode's page. You kind of out, outdid us right there, but we should definitely talk about the episodes that connected with us the most, or at least the elements of the show that connected with us the most. My favorite episode is Paper Hearts, which is weird because it's not exactly the supernatural style of the show. I mean, it, it, well, it, it kind of... Wait, it yeah, kind it does. <laughs> I mean... In a way, it, it does, it, but in a way, it's still... It's so similar to, you know, the Thomas Harris stories for that did Silence of the Lambs, and it, it does feel a little more grounded. And I always feel... Like I'm doing a disservice to the show when I when I say my favorite episodes because even my my I think the scariest episode is irresistible and that's arguably the most grounded episode in the show. Yeah, um, I mean, irresistible was basically the point at which they said, "Hey, let's do Millennium, right? Let's do a show that's just about serial yeah. killers or things like serial killers." Yeah, and I do think that kind of said something for the show. Also, is that I mean, granted, like there are some you know absolutely terrifying stuff that's supernatural on the show. And, and, you know, as a kid, I definitely was terrified by a lot of the, the Monster of the Week episodes. And I mean, even now, like, I'll, I'll still be kind of creeped out a bunch of bunch of stuff. But I do think it's the ones about the mind, mostly, is the ones that scared me. Because I, I think that's still the most frightening thing on this planet is the mind and where it can go and what it can do and who it can be and, and what it can be. And Paper Hearts and Irresistible kind of go into that, whether it's you know, Mulder's mind and being able to foresee 
where he finds the paper heart in the beginning. And where I guess a, a plot summary might be in order. Paper hearts yeah. uh, is an episode where Mulder starts having these dreams that lead him to evidence pertaining to a serial killer case that he'd already like taken care of proof that there were in fact other people who'd been killed in the string of very theatrical serial killer murders and that the killer was holding on information. And it turns out that there's actually a telepathic connection has been formed between the two of them. And, uh, the guy is, he doesn't realize it, but he's actively screwing with Mulder's head until he actually does realize what he's capable of. And then he's just a Freddy Krueger. Well, not really. He's not a Freddy Krueger level terror, but I mean, like he, <laughs> if you go to sleep and you're Mulder, then you're a little screwed because yeah. all of a sudden reality isn't what it is anymore. It all centers around, you know, the whole story of finding Samantha and, you know, and all of that. I mean, it does, it does tie to the, to one of the key elements of the myth arc of X-Files in a, in a very intriguing way. Very much yeah. so. And I, I have to say, it's, it's interesting that you said, you know, Irresistible and Paper Hearts, because those two also happen to be two of my absolutely favorite episodes, I guess because they it sounds kind of uh, a little bit sadistic but it's because these serial killers really get to the main characters a lot and um and it's interesting to see the psychological development going on there yeah and i i mean tom noonan is just unbelievable i've i've always considered him and i, I think i write this in the article but i think he's one of the most underrated actors in hollywood history i just think that the way that he assumes the character, whether it's Francis Dullerhide and Michael Mann's Manhunter, which is much better than the remake by Brett Ratner. He does embody that creepiness that really was necessary for that role. But then at the same time, I mean, like the monster in Irresistible is it's just terrifying still, even, ap- even after being desensitized to like so much of the quote unquote torture porn of horror of the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, he still is more terrifying than that. It's just his demeanor and his face and his voice. And I, I'm just getting creeps thinking about it. Like, uh, <laughs> Not to mention he comes back in another episode. He does. He yeah. does, which is. Uh, oh, I'd forgotten that. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in the process of, of rewatching the series in full for the first time since it aired. And also, I might add, for the first time watching Millennium, I'd never seen the only Millennium I'd seen was the X Files conclusion tie-in episode. So I'm, I'm really, so you've seen the ending, <laughs> I, but fortunately, I don't remember any of it because when I was watching the episode, I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it was a confusing episode. They're like, "Wow, there's a guy here," and I know him because he's in all the commercials for Fox like <laughs> a year ago, and he was in Aliens. I'm really enjoying Millennium. It's definitely a cool show, and it's another one of those um, kind of short-lived shows that most people, I think, will stumble upon now and go, "Shit, like, why don't we have more episodes of this?" I was poking around a little bit. There's a very dedicated Millennium fan following that I assume crosses over a lot with X-Files, but it's very intense. So, uh, I mean, that kicks ass. I would love to see more Millennium. However impractical that dream might be, I think that that would rock. Uh, Maybe a comic book. That would, I would be a-okay with that. It's in the same universe as X-Files. Let's see Frank Black. Come on. How about you, Nina, Uh, as far as like uh, episodes that you were either horrified by or connected with or thought were really stood out either today or when you were first watching the show as a kid? I've got so many. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I've got so many, so many episodes. Just that question, you know, comes up with my entire mind just... It doesn't go blank, but it's just like it, it fills up with like 50,000 episodes. Well, I mean, you've been been very... you, You told me that you actually got into researching the episodes of x-files at a younger age like like as in like getting into the show being more than just a watcher being a uber fan happened pretty early on with x-files 
Yeah, that's true. Even though, uh, you know, I wasn't quite allowed to have the internet until a certain age. So that kind of stumped me. But I had about as many books as I could possibly try to have as a kid. Books about X-Files? Yes, specifically. And the, you know, and the background stories and, you know, the real um, conspiracy theories that basically inspired the show and um everything you know like all the compendiums and um i mean i can go on about it forever you know i have about 50 books if it comes down to it but um far as favorite episodes go i mean you know i I absolutely love 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 my comedy episodes Uh um anything uh anything with the long gun man is fine with me i believe chris carter has also said that this was one of his favorite episodes is the postmodern prometheus has definitely been one of my favorites I love Bad Blood. Um, it's the second episode in the entire series where they've ever even actually gone into vampires. The first one is negligible. I won't even mention it. Yeah, man, that, that first it's, that first vampire episode struck me as somebody's like film they didn't get to make that they happened to turn into an X-Files episode. It's, huh. it's so outside of everything. Yeah, it's yeah. just it was a space filler. A lot of fans didn't like it because it came right into um, Scully's like first abduction arc. And then Mulder goes off and fools around with some vampire. Exactly. Yeah. Not Which, cool. Not yeah. cool at all. It's, it's a very weird episode. Um. <laughs> now, now that I mentioned this, you know, getting into the mythology arc, I think one of my, I say one of my favorite mythology episodes overall is Memento Mori. Mm. Because it was just one of the very emotional ones and just felt very personal. And um, my type of fan qualifies as a shipper. So I guess I can say that on the show because, you know, we're all (laughs) in the same territory here. But, you know, yeah, I'm a shipper. (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) But I mean, that's 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 probably I mean, if if it comes down to it's probably more than 70 percent of the of the show's fans anyways. Memento Mori is great. Oh. That's a really emotional episode. And I actually yeah. almost put that as uh, the best Scully episode because it, it does take a lot out of you <laughs> watching that episode. Definitely. I mean, that Scully's whole cancer arc is just very emotional. And just imagine that most of this wouldn't have even happened if it weren't for the fact that Jillian Anderson was pregnant in, yeah. in season two. Oh, 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 Paperclip. I love Paperclip. It's one of the best episodes because he finally stands up to the cigarette smoking man and the way he stands up to him is just so yeah. kick-ass. That's, that's my favorite mythology episode because, I mean, the episode is there's a, a photograph that has um, some of the original council members that are outside of, um, it looks like a huge greenhouse or an abandoned asylum or something like that. But they get there and it's this huge silo for like, files that just keep going and going and is it the first time that they really do get like that they come in contact with alien like like an actual alien life because they all run past them i think at the end of the episode or there's in, a ship the darkness <laughs> yeah there's a ship in there that's behind the, sh- the the thing but i can't remember if it's the first time that they actually come like hand in hand with the alien, they run right past them like scully sees them as they're running by or something like that you know there may have been something in there with them I, I, there's something that's a, that's in the dark that's running i think and you think it's agents at first but it's actually oh i remember it's, it's running out and then and then the ship leaves as it's going and then i think like what the next day they meet skinner at like the coffee shop or something like that yeah um, I, I believe there was something running you're right yeah just very very cre- brief it is creepy as far as it's creepier realizing that i'd forgotten it and then kind of remembering it and then it's running through my own mind yeah fun. i mean it's, <laughs> I, I just love that that just exemplified like how much fun those mythology arcs could be and how exciting and how much of a not to just tease i guess but how much you really did get rewarded but then how much you got kind of pulled away also 
you know, cause you're shown so much and you're, you're proven so much, but then, you, but then there's always like four or five other questions that you have because of it, which is what always made the show so interesting. But the nice thing is it's not like lost where you have a bunch of questions and then they never get answered, but you know, exactly. they all get answered, but you know, or, in or their own I guess time. in lost case answered poorly. <laughs> I never actually watched Lost, but I just know that there's a lot of unanswered. Well, here's questions. a summary. Are, it has is. some of the greatest moments in in television history, but the least amount of payoff of all time. It betrays you, but it's kind of worth it because there are some single episodes that are brilliant. It's probably one of the best first seasons you could ever ask for out of a television series, but they never come close to the brilliance of that first season ever again. Whereas I think X Files evolved better. I mean, my favorite season is. Two. I love season two. I think that season two has some of the coolest back-to-back episodes. I think there's like a quadruple punch of unbelievably scary single episodes that happen early on in season two. But as it goes on, it gets better. And I think that's a mark of a great show. And not to toss Lost under the, the tracks. I enjoyed it when it was there, but it definitely didn't have an idea where it was going. Yeah. But um, I always wondered if they knew what the X-Files was going to go either, though. The question does beg to be asked. With season 10, if we're talking to these guys, we might get into it. So if you haven't read season 10, I, I hate telling anybody, don't listen to this. I Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. So we're going to assume that maybe everybody's read the first volume by now. And if you haven't, go to this episode's page, click the link, get the volume, read it, come back. We'll, we'll still be here. But uh, for anybody who is disappointed that the 2008 film, I want to believe, didn't have any of the core myth stuff in it, it hits you right away with super soldiers, alien abduction, Mulder and Scully's kid, Doggett and Reyes. Everything. Just boom, 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 boom. It's pretty action-packed. I really enjoyed it, and it's off to a great start. I'm excited to talk with those guys, and uh, we're going to do that real super soon. And then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about some of my favorite episodes when we get back after the interview. But right now, we're going to cut to a track. This is something from chiptune artist Jay Tholen from his album Epidemic. It's a zombie-themed chiptune album, which came out in 2008. It was actually reworked into a deluxe multipurpose Halloween experience last year. Uh, this, however, is the original track we're going to play. And uh, something cool to mention about what Jay Tholen's been up to, he actually had a recently funded Kickstarter project for a video game called Dropsy, which he has designed and done music for. And uh, Dropsy is about a horrific-looking clown, cute in a kind of disgusting way, and it's a point-and-click adventure. The pitch is, impart love to a surreal, grotesque world as a misunderstood but cheerful clown. Discover a vast mythos in the process. Uh, So that's actually coming out for PC, Mac, and Linux sometime in the near future. We'll link to where you can check that out and see the trailer, and it looks really cool. So this is Twilight Invasion by Jay Tholen.
with us on the line is the creative team behind X-Files Season 10. We have the uh, series editor, Denton Tipton. Hey, guys. Series writer, Joe Harris. Hey. And X-Files creator, Chris Carter. Hello. Guys, X-Files Season 10 is a momentous thing. How did this project come together? We'd um, always uh, had a really good working relationship with Fox uh, doing Angel Comics and 24 and a few other projects. So we'd always uh, kept in contact with them about other projects that we could put together. And when um, the 20th anniversary was quickly approaching for X-Files, and that seemed to be uh, something that was perfect from comics, that it had a strong comic presence back in uh, the heyday. And we thought it'd be great to, you know, be part of the 20th anniversary. And Fox agreed and they got in touch with Chris and ran the idea by him and everybody was on board and away we went. Fox uh, came to me and said uh, Joe would be involved and uh, would I like to be involved. I had never had an opportunity to be involved in the in the previous comic world, and uh, so this was a, a good opportunity for me to jump in. And I met Joe. I met uh, Chris Ryle from IDW, and uh, everything went from there. I mean, I was a, such a fan of the show, and when IDW asked me if, if I had any interest in writing this project that would become season 10, you know, I jumped at it and we started working. And then that was sort of happening parallel to Chris's involvement materializing. And uh, it really kicked up, you know, when I say it kicked up another notch, it's really like another 10, because as you can imagine, we were all thrilled when that happened. Uh, it, it just sort of took this to a whole nother level. And uh, I'd like to think you see the consistency in the work because of that. Right off the bat, you guys are coming out like guns a-blazing. Super soldiers, alien conspiracy, fan-favorite characters, resurrecting characters from the dead. It's uh, the first story arc is definitely a feast for an X-Files fan. I would imagine it was quite an event being able to dust off the cobwebs of so many storylines and, and everything to, to bring it back full focus in this medium with no limitations. Yeah, that's the amazing thing, the no limitations. Money's no object. and But I have to say, it's really Joe who's driving this, and uh, IDW has come to me for guidance. But I have to say that he's uh, got such a encyclopedic knowledge of the show, the characters, that he's been able to take what we gave him with the uh, nine years of the show and really turn it into um, something that is a product of his, really his imagination. Well, um, if you could see the smile on my face right now, um, <laughs> you know, there was so much to pick and choose from. It was daunting in that we wanted to try and do this right, and we could have obviously gone in any number of directions. I mean, after so many years away, I could have come up with 5, 10, 15 ideas to launch us into this. But the, the first thing I had pitched to IDW, Fox came back and really appreciated. And then we got such really nice feedback from Chris that we just sort of went with it. And, you know, so far, so good. It's been, you know, I won't lie to you, there were some moments where it was it was a little bit of a nerve-wracking experience because every once in a while I would look down and, I, and I'd see how many people really were hungry for this. And the response has been so kind and, for the most part, so supportive and validating that it's become less scary in that regard. I feel a lot more comfortable doing this than I, you know, I guess in my anxiousness, I might have, uh, <laughs> you know, been been juggling leading up to the release, but um, yeah, it's been a blast. You guys are continuing the series in uh, an official or semi-official capacity is a big deal. Calling it season ten is a big deal and separates it from all the X Files comics that have come prior, seeming to be an, an official continuation. Obviously, Chris, you're there as executive producer of the comic. 
I was wondering how you guys visualize it, because in an interview earlier this year, Chris, you said that uh, the comics will be sort of in their own universe, despite it being called season 10. It's, you know, it it is a comic book world, and it is, even though we're calling it season 10, and I think you, you know, that's, it's fair to say, it, it's a comic book season 10, and uh, not necessarily something we would have done on the show, because the show, as you know, was a mixture of mythology and standalone episodes, and even though I think we're getting into a little bit more of that going yeah. forward, I'll say it's got its own brand new life. What sort of relationship have you guys had crafting the story? You said that we can attribute quite a lot to Joe, but obviously, Chris, uh, you were credited as, uh, with story on the first story arc and everything. Uh, I'm curious what you guys' writing process has been like uh, creating this. Well, I can tell you uh, right um, off the bat, uh, yeah. Chris steered us off of a plot point that we, we were working toward early on that uh, I'm very grateful he did because I think it would have been all wrong as so far as a direction to go. And I think it would have been less of a fan favorite move on my part. So I'm very grateful to him for stepping in and sort of correcting our course a little bit. And uh, he's also imparted some wisdom to me that I, I will not share with you, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'm very grateful for that as well. And, um, you know, feeling that acceptance has been both gratifying and validating. And uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what else I can say. I mean, we share yeah. what we're doing with Chris. I can speak a little to that because uh, we, if there ever were going to be a third movie, I wanted to, uh, and we wanted to, the people that would be involved to preserve certain things that wouldn't corrupt that opportunity. That's not to say that there will be, uh, but, you know, never say never, as I've always been saying, uh, the truth is out there. <laughs> We wanted to, as much as this is a really a, a work of art, there are other contributing factors to our thoughts about going forward in any direction. Yeah, I think, you know, on my end, I have an idea. I mean, Chris and I have talked about a potential third movie and what that would entail, what that would address, what that would contain. And I am very mindful of that. And, uh, you know, leaving a lot of space so that I, I don't want the comics to get into that specifically at all. And, you know, if and when that is to materialize, I'm pretty confident we can make it all work. It's just, you know, it'll take some effort and it'll take some talent and it'll take some uh, the same kind of respect I'd like to think we've been showing all along. And I'll speak to the, the process uh, between Joe and me and uh, IDW Denton. They've taken the lead, they've taken the reins, and uh, I'm really a, I would call it truly an executive producer in that I'm a, I'll call it a, not a background figure, but uh, I'm, I'm watching their process take shape. So let's say Joe runs all the scripts by you and you give him feedback on it or you bounce ideas around or... Yes, and stuff comes to me, I okay it, I send it back, I have notes, uh, questions. It's really a give and take process. He lets us know if something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a luxury for me because, uh, you know, on the TV show, you're very, very hands-on uh, through so many different processes. I mean, through, uh, you know, you've got to prepare a script to be shot and then shoot it and cast it and everything else. Uh, those are things that we don't have to do here. We do them in a fashion, but not how you do them in television or film production. So there's an ease in which this process can take place because of uh, there are fewer moving parts. Chris, has there been any um, discussion in terms of the third film that might be able to kind of change direction in terms of how it's produced, maybe like online TV series, like a miniseries of sorts? Or has it just always been 
your idea to make strictly a feature film? There's been other ideas tossed about, but uh, nothing that has uh, you know, taken any kind of perfect shape. Am I vague enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just meant like, because like, you know, seeing Arrested Development, which is a Fox entity, seeing it find new life on Netflix, while watching it, I was just like, well, you know, God, I, you know, out of all the Fox entities that I'd love to see Netflix pick up. The people have talked about, a, you know, a television event. Uh, people have talked about uh, a feature. Uh, as I say, so far, it's just been talk. All talk and no action. What are they good for? Yeah. God damn you. Also, you know, also, I mean, every, everyone's, everyone's working. Jillian's working. Uh, David's true. been working. Uh, I'm working. And so, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, there are other factors involved. Before 2012 rolled around, were the years before that, was it definitely a gunning for it more? Or was that kind of just, you know, didn't matter if, if that date happened or not? Uh, I think that's a significant date, but, uh, you know, there was this idea that we would shoot for 2012. Uh, I, I always thought that was uh, a mistake, and I'm glad that that date has passed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's good. That's great that that's the outlook, and it's like, oh, it's all ruined now. All yeah, my planning. <laughs> <laughs> all the same, that's one of the big questions for the comic book. And, Joe, you've said w- when going into this that those questions would be dealt with in some capacity. And, uh, we're still waiting, but I assume the uh, answer is well, keep that, waiting. Yeah, I think uh, to to a degree. I mean, I, this is this falls under the category of space we are respectfully preserving mm-hmm. for Chris to tell the next chapter in his telling. There are some things you can't fully get around. I mean, we've got to pay some mind to open questions that that X Files fans have certainly, and and I think we're gonna keep coming up with creative ways to do this while still preserving that space and keeping that light on in the window. Because, I mean, nobody wants to see a potential X-Files. You know, the only person that wants to see it more than me are the people directly involved with making it. So it's a balancing act because, we, you know, we want to leave that space for, for Chris to do what he wants to do. And like I said, by the same token, not ignore it, because that's one of the things that fans ask me about. And certainly talk amongst themselves over so you know we'll keep finding the right way to, to balance this as we go forward i both think and hope <laughs> and obviously with the most recent issue you've gotten back to the the monster of the week format the x files have been reopened and uh you've already started tying things up i mean after that second fluke man episode we were all curious what on earth could happen there like uh, the standard monster creepy cliffhanger ending and and here the fluke man is back and it feels absolutely natural you can take an iconic X-Files entity and bring it back seamlessly and uh, have it be, like, uh, natural. So I'm definitely excited for the future of the series. It just can't come out fast enough. <laughs> Wait, you sound exactly like 20th Century Fox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's my nagging thing is just I'll finish with one of them because now we're so used to Netflix culture. Where it's just you know, go to the next one, go to the next one, and it's yeah, it's yeah. it's almost it's harder than it was back uh, when the show was originally on Fox. We were just like, okay, well, it's just till next Sunday. It's great. Now it's like another month. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is killing me. Is there any plan to do two a month eventually, or is it? I, I'm, well, I'm game for writing more than. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have uh, we have an event starting in January. Yes, you where- do. Yes, the X-Files will be crossing over with several other franchises, Ghostbusters, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Crow. And those will be coming out two a month from January through March. 
So you'll be getting 3X Files uh, comics uh, for the first three months of the year. And then in April, in addition to the... Uh, and Season 10 will be running right alongside of it, but um, it won't be directly involved. So you won't have to read both. Or if you're an X-File, you'll definitely want to. Um, and then in April, uh, once the event is over, we'll still be continuing with Season 10. And then we're doing an annual that uh, was co-written by Frank Spotnitz. Oh, man. Awesome. Also, uh, Gabe yeah. Rotter. Um, that's uh, the head of uh, Chris's production company, also co-wrote that. And uh, that um, comes out in April. And it has a backup story by Dave Sim of Cerebus fame. Oh, um, my God. You are just plucking my heartstrings with that annual, dude. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, the announcement hasn't come out yet. So... Uh, Hopefully I won't get in trouble if this goes out before the end of the year. <laughs> By the way, this Passover idea, I have no idea what to expect. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm very curious how this will all be done. It's, uh, this, is, yeah. this is all coming at me, you know, fresh and new. And um, I'm, uh, I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah. I, I sent the stuff over to Gabe a while back, but I'm sure you were quite busy with the after your new show. But it's all self-contained. I can't really give too much of the details, but it won't be interfering with anything that's going on with season 10 or, or anything that had previously come before. So you just, you'll, of course, have to read it to see, including Chris, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it'll, be a lot, it'll be a lot of fun. And I think uh, all the fans will get a kick out of it. But uh, those that are uh, a little wary of crossovers and whatnot, not, um, you know, won't have anything to worry about because it'll exist in its own little space. There won't be any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in X Files season ten, is what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. 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 A, little, a little crazy. I mean, last we saw, Mulder was in a sewer, so you know, um, <laughs> pop out. That wasn't a natural inflection point, yeah, but we didn't seize it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Archie and Veronica also joined the X Files world. Right? <laughs> joining the FBI. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a great time to mention that there's, this is as a complete aside, but there's actually an adult Archie book that's being published right now called Afterlife with Archie, where Jughead becomes a zombie and everybody gets murdered. Um, it has some of like the best talent in the industry writing and drawing it. So uh, mm -hmm. Archie grew up. It's weird. That's what I love about comics. Any, anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're, you're talking about Francesco Francavilla? Oh, yeah. Man, that guy yeah. can draw. Well, he'll be drawing some X-Files soon as well. Oh, yeah. You are singing my song, man. Yeah, what? yes. That's very exciting as well. It's very exciting. Speaking of the crossovers, I was wondering how the individual crossover franchises were picked and uh, were there some franchises crossover ideas that had to be turned down? Yeah, we basically took a look at all the properties that we already have licensed and tried to see which ones were the best fit for the X-Files. The ones that we did end up going with are really good fits, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fall under like uh, Urban Legends, The Crow and Ghostbusters would be Supernatural, and um, and I'm blanking on the other one, Transformers, Transformers <laughs> which, which are aliens. So they all really kind of made sense. We thought about some of the others that we had. Have like Mars Attacks, which have been a lot of fun, but it was just, you know, too humorous. Wouldn't quite work. Unfortunately, Doctor Who wasn't available because that could have been a lot of fun with some time travel. But uh, yeah, we were, we were really happy with the four that we ended up going with. And they're, you know, really nice fits. Speaking of humorous parts, since you're bringing back the Monster of the Week concept with season 10, mm -hmm. were you thinking of maybe bringing back some of that signature X-Files comedy as well? 
I uh, love that idea, and I think that would be a question for Joe. It crosses my mind. I mean, some of the sure. I mean, some of the Vince Gilligan written stuff. I always love the the confident risks that the show would take, delving into into humorous territory. That does cross my mind. I have some ideas. After we've got a a, a five issue mythology arc coming up starting in issue issue 11 and after Mm -hmm. that we'll be into uh year two of the season 10 series being published and i've got a few new ideas for single issue monster stories and you know short two-part arcs as well and i've got one or two that i think are a little off the wall that I, i i'd like to develop a bit more as we go through the holiday season and uh that's a goal of mine, and I'm glad Denton's receptive to it because I think that's uh, that's a hallmark of the series, and I'd like to try and approach that if we can. Yeah, that comedy is it's really delicate. The people that were so good at it, Vince, and uh, of course Darren Morgan, I think Morgan Wong, and uh, I have to say Frank and John and Vince collaborated on some really funny episodes, including Dreamland. It's a trick, and so uh, I'm very curious to see how that would be approached. Well, it's high time we had a musical break, and this is something new and super cool from an artist hot on the scene called Zantilla. Zantilla has produced sort of a concept album called Encounters, seven tracks long and goes through the first through seventh kind of extraterrestrial encounter as categorized by Dr. J. Allen Hynek. I'm going to play for you the sixth kind, which is uh, defined as uh, death of a human or animal associated with a UFO sighting. Cattle mutilations fit into this category, so that's fun. It's a really, really cool album. I've been listening to it a ton. We'll link to where you can check it out on this episode's page. This is Zantilla with Sixth Kind.
would you guys gauge the public response to season 10 so far? I mean, I've been really gratified myself. I think I was saying earlier that it was a little nerve wracking leading up to it because, you know, I realized that this was a a lot of responsibility and that I, you know, if people didn't like it, I would be the immediate target of that (laughs) anger. So, so it was, so it was a little bit of a relief that people weren't just happy to see Mulder and Scully back. They, they were very supportive and they were very complimentary and they, you know, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of very kind emails and tweets and Facebook friending and such just telling me that they were really pleased with how I I hit the characterizations and how I I found their voices. And uh, that was uh, incredibly gratifying to hear. And that really came out of Comic-Con. That was my, you know, sitting there with you. And uh, when there was the interface with the people that were there, um, I could tell that people were very happy with with the direction that Joe and everyone else have taken the the idea. It's been uh, a, a really good experience. It's been the most gratifying work for hire situation I've ever been involved in, um, just because I, I love the material so much. And to know that other people that love the material that much respond so favorably to what I'm doing is just really humbling and gratifying. And all in all, I have to say, it's been a tremendously positive experience so far. I've been running a letters column in the back of each issue since number three. And uh, I'd say about 98% of it is positive. You know, I, I'd like to try to put opposing viewpoints in the Mm -hmm. uh, column to balance it out, but it's really hard to find. It's basically been minor nitpicks, you know, about really minor things. So it's. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's, you know, a testament to the the job that the creative team has done, um, you know, including Michael Walsh, who's been our series artist, and, and Jordi Belair, yeah. you know, getting all the tones and colors right on all the characters. And, you know, it's, it's really overwhelming how positive the reaction has been. From a storytelling perspective, especially since we're in such a new era of technology compared to even when it ended, you know, back in the early 2000s, do you find it harder to write a lot of these stories, you know, that deal with conspiracies or folklore, urban legend with the advent of like Reddit or 4chan or the kind of message board culture, Twitter culture that would might be difficult for the X-Files to kind of evolve the X-Files or do you think it opens it up to more possibilities? The job is the same, telling stories and you go with your gut and you do what you think is honest to the characters and to the concept and that's never changing. 
technology and social media is ever changing and uh, you know you deal with it and there will always be the haters and there will always be the, the fans luckily I mean it's the fans that really have made the show they made it popular and they've kept it going and uh, the reason you have comic books now is because people love uh, Mulder and Scully simply and uh, you know and then now they get a chance to live again I think the opportunities are greater we live in time where suspicions are great and mistrust is everywhere and everything that changed in 2001 I think has changed back and been amplified by things that have come to light and this would be a great time to do the X-Files it really reminds me a lot of actually it's it's even more more shadowy time than it was in the 90s when we started the early 90s when we started doing the show with uh with 9/11 you guys famously almost mm-hmm. predicted 9/11 in the first episode of Lone Gunman not really. Not, I mean, people had imagined that planes would hit the World Trade Center. The World Trade Center was built with that in mind to withstand a plane strike, just not a, uh, a jumbo jet plane strike. So while that was a part of the Lone Gunman series in the pilot, I, I don't think it predicted anything other than what people had already imagined. Last year, I was at uh, London Comic Con where I saw Nick Lee and Gillian Anderson. And among the X-Files fans there, um, I noticed a lot of 12-year-olds, a lot of really young teenagers, and which reminded me of, yeah. you know, the time when I got into the show when I was 12. And I know a lot of people who got into the show at that age. What do you think makes the show so appealing to people at that age? I think it's really simply Mulder and Scully and that, that relationship. And while the stories are important and they have to have interesting cases to work on, it's that relationship that I think brings people in, which and hopefully has a timeless quality. I'm as surprised as anyone that it's, you know, this show is still as popular as it is, that it's, you know, still has some relevance. Uh, you know, when you set out to do these shows, you know, you just hope to get your pilot finished and you that you get a first season and it is amazing uh, that it would last, you know, 20 years. It's surreal. It actually, it's been quite a while since uh, the Chris Carter edge has graced the television screen, but I believe you're working on a project right now. Yeah. Yeah. You've been quite busy, I guess, on your show, right? We were actually just finalizing the cut, which has been a long time coming. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I am working on something uh, for Amazon, but uh, there will be a lot more to talk about uh, when the show actually uh, airs, and I think that will be in February on Amazon Prime. Wow, okay. Um, I guess I need to get an Amazon Prime account. I don't have one of those yet. (laughs) Immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Right after this, Cap. It's it's the time to get one because you get free shipping on all your Amazon stuff. They're they're going to drop things in your front yard with drones. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Scary. Wow. Joe, I read recently that you announced the return of another all-time favorite character in further issues of season 10, and I was wondering if you could give any hints to that. I mean, I think it's 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 out already. We, we solicited issue nine. The title of the story is being for the benefit of Mr. X. Oh, and, oh nice. We are uh, bringing back my favorite of Mulder's informants for this one issue. I think it's it's following uh, a formula that I think is working for us. And I and, and I'd like to stick with we retcon nothing. He's dead. I mean, I saw him die. Everybody saw the character die in, in, in that great episode. But there's still a story to be told. One thing I'm really fond of doing while writing this book is I, I have to do a lot of research. I watch a lot of a lot of episodes. I, I go back 
through the seasons and watch a few in a row sometimes. And uh, I love mining the past to inform the present and the future so far as what we're going to be doing in the series. And I was able to find a couple of little elements that were not really developed beyond just a mention here and there at, at a couple of points during the early years of the show. And I was able to craft this narrative that lets us tell a story with X in it that's set in the present that involves both some flashbacks as well as a new mystery that Mulder and Scully along with him are going to have to uncover that really starts to fill in some of the pieces illustrating what this uh, this new conspiracy that's going to start to take shape in the series really is. And by bringing back a character like X, it lets us sort of tie it into continuity Again, without being retro, we one of the things I'm, I'm I'm really proud of is that we don't lean on that too heavily. We do. I'd like to think just enough that people who really want to see these old characters come back do get that to appreciate. But it's not just a, a greatest hit show. I, I just think it feels lazy to need to lean on that. So we're bringing back X for this one issue. There are actually a couple of other cameos in issue nine that I think fans are going to be really excited about because uh, a lot of the future mythology stuff we're going to be exploring in this series ties into the past as related to the syndicate and the various characters that were involved, both plotting against Mulder and informing him of what was going on and helping him under the table. So lots of cool stuff coming up. And uh, X is just the tip of the iceberg. We've got some really cool concepts and characters that are going to be popping up in future issues as well. And uh, I'm really, really excited for people to find out what they are. Outstanding. I must ask, are there additional plans for Doggett and Reyes? Uh, wait and see. Okay. <laughs> Typical. But, you know, that we are talking about a story about secrets, so we knew it It does give me into. the easy out, yeah. Yeah. Wait and see. Damn that, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get with the likeness for the stars? Because, like, I mean, I understand that... There's a process, I mean, usually. David and, does David and mm-hmm. Julian read these, or...? A lot of the times they do. We send them to Fox, who sends it through their talent coordinator, and they send them to the representatives of Jillian and David. And Robert Patrick also has likeness. Right. So yeah, usually, they, have, they have veto power, but uh, yeah, they rarely exactly. exercise it. Right, right. Uh, we get feedback from them. Usually um, doesn't come directly to us, but it goes through Fox. But Jillian definitely has uh, you know, seen a lot of the art. She mentioned on our panel as well um, during Comic-Con, uh, which is uh, pretty funny. But uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely see all of it and approve all the artists. Joe, you're also working on Great Pacific. Is this the, the first time you've done two books at once, ongoing? I guess two ongoings. Yeah, I suppose it is. There's some other stuff coming up in the in the spring you'll hear about as well. So I'm going to be doing more than that. But X-Files and Great Pacific come first, I promise. And for all listeners, uh, if you enjoy X-Files, I highly recommend Great Pacific. It's, uh, it's a sci-fi. It's an environmental sci-fi. I mean, it's a very grounded. It's calling it sci-fi maybe makes you think it's about space. But no, it's about real world stuff. You can see why they gave him the job of doing X-Files. Well, thank you. Looking back, Chris, when you moved from Vancouver to Los Angeles, is that something that you wish you you might not have had to have done? Or do you feel that actually kind of changed the game a little bit for the X-Files in a good way? 
I, I'm of many minds about it. Uh, I hated leaving there. They had been put together. I, I'll call it the kind of all-star team, and uh, it was a great place to work. The work ethic is high. I love Vancouver. I have lots of friends still there, so it was really hard to leave. But maybe it was time to leave. Uh, David and Jillian had been basically working abroad for uh, five years. David Duchovny, uh, funny. Uh, you know, we went to, to Vancouver originally to do the pilot because Vancouver had great forests, and we needed a great forest. Yeah. We had actually started to try to produce the show in L.A. and didn't. Uh, David said it was two weeks that turned into five years. So uh, we, we went we went home, but uh, there were all kinds of new resources, and there was a new crew, and uh, it wasn't seamless, but uh, it worked out in an interesting way, ultimately, that we had other... I mean, uh, we came home and shot the Queen Mary, so that was something we couldn't have done in Vancouver. So there were other things to do, and maybe it expanded the show. Uh, it certainly was hard to leave, but, you know, that's what happened. What was your favorite memory of filming the show, just from the filming process? Oh, that's so hard, you know. <laughs> There's so Sorry. much to draw from. Yeah, I, to be honest, so much of it is a blur. I had my 40th birthday during the course of the show, and just Sunday, I opened, they had made this chest full of stuff, and everyone, you know, made funny things and signed funny things and made tapes and uh, just a uh, really kind of crazy memorabilia. And it's like, it so struck me, you know, how much I had forgotten. And I saw names that had, uh, you know, I'd uh, put away. And so for me, there are just so many rich memories, so many interesting times, challenges, uh, you know, heartache. Uh, there was celebrations. It was in many ways, it was uh, one of the best experiences of my life, but it was also one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's such a demanding thing. And luckily, when you have, I'll call it an esprit de corps, this is the best thing about it for me, when you have everyone working together and to make something really great, that's how you get a show like The X-Files. That's my way of not answering your question. <laughs> that's a great way of not answering my question. <laughs> Are there still moments that still terrify you, that actually like really frighten you? Yes, but there are things that no one would ever know. I mean, there are really probably production things and like, uh, you know, a nail-biting schedule thing. So we, we used to turn in the show. I, I think we turned it in, you know, we, we would be like, it's like that scene from broadcast news where they're running with the tape, you know, for the, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was really like that. And we, we finished it at the 11th hour and there were so many nail-biting situations with special effects and uh, sound and music. And it's amazing. I always say we didn't know what we couldn't do. So we tried everything. And uh, that, that it, it was really, a, I'll call it a naive but it served the show in the end. Well, guys, thank you so much for all you listeners out there. If you haven't checked out the book, there's every conceivable reason you need to check out X-Files Season 10, and we'll link to it where you can pick that up on this episode's page. Joe, really looking forward to reading the future issues, and uh, Chris, really excited about the new show. It's been way too long. Welcome back. I'm knocking wood. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Joe, Denton, and everyone from Nerdy Show. Thanks. We're going to play a track for you by Theophany from his album Crystal Flash. It's a tribute to Metroid, as well as in memory of a fellow remixer Chris Powell, a.k.a. Avian. And this is a track called Space Drive.
the show is not over yet, though. How can we possibly follow that up? I know what we'll do. Nerdy Show is listener-supported. That means that you, dear listeners, you make this program and all the programs in the Nerdy Show Network possible. So we got some much-needed shout-outs we got to give to all the people who contributed to us in November. It costs us a minimum of $300 to work this whole operation bare bones a month. You guys met that, and that was all thanks to Garrier, Joe Barda, Mauron, Arceus, Big Bad Shadow Man, Matasm, Christopher Jones, Tolan, Andrea Treas, Russell Spicklemeyer, James Altman, Joshua Mayer, Barry I, Patrick Webster, and Matthew Shoemaker. If you want to contribute to Nerdy Show, all you got to do is go to nerdyshow.com and uh, you'll find the support link at the top of the page. And if you support us, we send you cool stuff in your email like uh, behind the scenes clips, which we'll probably have some from this episode, and illustrations and uh, other cool stuff. We have a whole list of it that you can find on our support page. But, uh, you know, sometimes people contribute to us and they write cool stuff. James Altman said, Nerdy Show and Nerdy FM, our 24-7 streaming nerd music radio station at nerdy.fm, have been a welcome distraction during my current personal crisis. Thank you. And James, I'm sorry you're going through a personal crisis, but I'm really glad we can do something for you. That, that's awesome. Joshua Mayer said, here's a long overdue donation. Been listening since Nerdapalooza 2010. For my first donation, here's $5 for every Nerdy Show book club. I've read all the books so far and look forward to your future suggestions. That is totally awesome. Well, it's good to know that kids are still reading. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nerdy Show Book Club, half the reason we started doing it was because we realized we weren't reading books anymore. <laughs> it's true. The sense of accomplishment you get from a book is so rare at this point for me. Like, I, I finished one a couple days ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how good that feels. <laughs> it sounds awful. No more book abstinence, Mike. Clean your pipes. No, I try to read them all the time, but um, I have an addiction to uh, TV shows. So. Well, that is why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what a wonderful seg. You know, that's that's what not what was my point. Was, if you have another letter, I, I, I want to hear one. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, uh, Barry I says, Thanksgiving message. I'm thankful for Nerdy Show, Dungeons and Doritos, Ghostbusters Resurrection, Derpy Show, and the rest of the fantastic shows. Double exclamation marks. So uh, Nina, you and Doug are running a good shop over there at the Ghostbusters Firehouse. Big Bad Shadow Man said, Happy Thanksgiving. Here's 15 bucks for the awesome enjoyment you bring to me. And uh, Matthew Shoemaker said, Mark and Chris's two-part Monkeys exploration, that's the band of the Monkeys, was brilliant and an educated answer to a question I didn't know I was asking. Why am I not listening to the Monkeys? Now I am. And that's the kind of thing that you can get over at The Real Congregation, our podcast for music nerds, people who nerd out about music stuff. A new monkey's convert, so uh, didn't think that you'd be hearing that that was a thing, but that is so a thing. Well, he's just in time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Now, there are, in fact, some other awesome people from November who gave us awesome messages, and we actually recorded an episode prior to this one where we read those, and that's coming out later, so time travel, but, you know, don't worry. Your shoutouts are on the way, guys. As for December, well, December has been a slow month contribution-wise. I ain't gonna lie. Tis the time of spending a ton of money, so we understand. However, we do need to make that $300 mark at the very least. So if you like what you heard, if you appreciate this episode or any of the other material we do, please contribute to the show, and we will give wonderful gifts unto you in your email. So far from December, Garrier says, Merry Crunchmas, and a Merry Crunchmas to you, sir. And Twomper says, You earned it, nerdy folk. Keep rocking the free world. Let's get back to talking about X-Files. So you guys talked about some of your key influential episodes last time. So I'll share mine. First of all, let me lead in with I had uh, something of a mild phobia uh, towards extraterrestrials as a child. So X-Files was one of those things that I was mystified by, but also a little standoffish towards the beginning. 
so it was it was really easy to freak me out. I remember one of the the earlier things I saw was the the episode Space, which is about the um the face on Mars, the alleged face on Mars of like a low res photo from a satellite of a series of like mountains and canyons that looks like a human face or some kind. And there's this really just god awful effect because it was early in the series where this like creepy face goes over a guy's <laughs> face, and it's like it's one of the most laughable effects in the whole of the series, but. When you're a little kid and you see that the primal features of that that very ghostly face, everything about that like floating face thing that they were doing in that episode. Um, I'm so was, sorry. That was like the wrong first episode to watch. It was quite jarring. It was my first. It was not my first episode. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I mean, this is, this, good is, this to, is a memory. This is a memory about something that, I mean, it left an impression. It freaked me out as a kid. I was like, oh, that's a scary show. Um, it is I mean, it's, it's weird, though, because like I found myself in a similar boat for... Um, excelsius die excelsius day that one i remember that scared me also but then i went back and like when i recently watched it, i was like holy shit the effects are awful like i mean are <laughs> awful but like why would i be scared of this now it is amazing what the imagination does as a kid though i don't know it's like it's, it's very funny with me I, I i was as a kid i was scared of literally everything and then i was so naturally you were drawn to the x-files ironically when i started watching the x-files I was not scared of, I mean, this sounds really weird, but I wasn't scared of anything on this show. Anything off the, most things off the X-Files, like, you know, would, would creep me out to no end. But anything on the X-Files, fine. You wouldn't get, like, nightmares or anything from it? No, not at all. It's really weird. There are some things, because, I mean, I was terrified of sightings growing up. Oh, um, the, the television yeah. program sightings? Yeah. Yeah, sighting. talk and, about, like... And regular sightings. Um, <laughs> just just yeah. day-to-day sightings. Anytime you see something, it's just... <laughs> I, I usually get scared of, of things pretty easily um, <laughs> when, when, when it's just a regular sighting. Like, cars would go by as a kid. And, it's just, um, oh, my God, <laughs> the worst. There's a car. No, no. <laughs> but, no, um, I, I, I agree with sightings. sightings. Yeah, like, that, that was... Man, they put that on at exactly the right hour for you to... You see it, and then you can't sleep. Nope. And, it's, and the, even the music, like the music would like start after, you know, a regular show, like, you know, the Simpsons rerun would stop and then it would go into sightings and I'd be like, can I do it this time? Can I really watch it? And then, <laughs> uh, and like, I would be more terrified of that. And I would clean up the entire horror section of Blockbuster and never get scared. But then it would show this stuff and I'd be like, oh my God. And I'll never forget. There's like one episode where a kid runs out the, the house because there's a ghost upstairs. And then you just see the door just keep opening and closing, opening and closing. And that, like as a kid, I just could not get that image out of my head. One of the other uh, influential episodes early on was War of the Crowfages. I think maybe the second or third Hi. comedy episode they did. It's a parody of War of the Worlds where um, it looks like they're in an alien abduction situation. And uh, it ends up being this completely insane thing with man-eating swarms of um, cockroaches. Oh, Yeah. The X-Files did that thing that the Orkin commercials did before the Orkin commercials did it, where like it made it look like a life-size roach was actually crawling across your screen. I want to know the statistics for how many television sets were destroyed the night that that aired. <laughs> yeah. Oof. I don't like anything with bugs. Now uh, I know what you're getting for Christmas, a box of tarantulas. Oh, <laughs> shiver me timbers. Um. <laughs> Reminds me, I think the first episode I actually watched was Darkness Falls. I think that might have been my first episode, which was the one oh, with, man, the, with the yes. mites, the, yeah. the, the ones that glow at night. And, you know, you can't uh, well, no, don't just glow at night, but, you know, eat people at night. And um, when it's light outside, when there's some sorts of light, it's fine. But if the light sources go away, you're 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 doomed. It, that's one of those those classic episodes that preys on 
a human insecurity of the unknown in the darkness. If the light goes out, you are 100% screwed. You will die. You will be eaten to death by a, a, practically a nano swarm of phosphorescent insects. And, and, it's, and it's got that wonderful, like, John Carpenter type situation where you have to, like, rely on, like, the tools around you. or Almost like Sam Raimi, almost. I mean, and that's a lot, large part because they're in a cabin. But I love when you have to, like, stick to your resources. Oh, I should add that they don't just straight up eat you. They spin a bunch of grotesque silken webs around you. That makes it even grosser. And you're it's alive. Like clowns. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And fun fact, uh, the smoke monster from Lost is in the episode. No, no, seriously. Like the guy who plays the smoke monster in Lost is one of the guys that they think is the killer in the beginning. Oh, wow. Um, which is funny because I feel like X-Files and Miami Vice actually have like the most it's probably the best guest stars ever <laughs> like, oh oh yeah i mean it, they got they got seth green jack black so many people like you you watch the show and you're like oh my god it's that guy that's it's funny that you mentioned seth green and, and uh and jack black because at the time when they were on the x-files they weren't even really they hadn't even really had careers yet yeah. you know they were oh. basically i mean i wouldn't say they were made famous by the x-files but they were i mean maybe in some cases they were i don't know but there's so many cases like um, Ryan Reynolds was uh, oh, very yeah. early. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds was on one episode. Then you have uh, Tony Shalhoub um, from yeah. Monk. Yeah. It's a whole list of people. John Locke from uh, Lost. He's in like, he's like, he plays like three characters in the show. He was, in, he's a, a regular character in Millennium. Yeah. Terry O'Quinn. He played a military guy that goes insane in one of the, I think the second season. He's like living in the house and is like beats his wife or something. And yeah, he like, yeah. cause he loses his mind. And then he's in the the, the fight the future. He plays exactly. the guy. Um, Darius Michaud, Asian Darius Michaud, the guy yeah, who gets that's... blown up by the sewing machine. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. later on, he is uh, the quote unquote shadow man. So the guy actually has like three roles in the entire series. Which was such a common thing back in the 80s and 90s. Like, I mean, it, Miami Vice does that a bunch. Like, there's a, like, not to stress so much on Miami Vice, but the pilot episode, Crockett's partner that turns on him. It's a key character. I mean, this is a guy that you're going to remember because it's like, oh my God, he turned on Crockett. And then they have him pop up like two or three times, like in this season. It's like, oh yeah, the, the fans aren't going to notice. Nowadays, like, everybody would harp on that. You know, you'd have like Twitter going nuts, going like, well, that doesn't make any sense, which is kind of funny. Like, you'd think that. You know, they'd revolve around the castle a bit more, but... Well, I mean, um, it, it, it happened a, a lot in, in uh, X-Files as well. Like, um, yeah. I, I was watching um, I Want to Believe for the first time recently, and uh, there's, there's a scene where Scully's uh, video conferencing with a doctor who's played by this actress, Lorena Gale, and I recognized her because she'd been on a bunch of episodes of X-Files as different characters every single time, and one of them was really prominent. One of them was the nurse that was taking care of Scully when she gets dropped off back at the um, at the hospital from being abducted in the episode One Breath. Oh, wait. Oh. That wasn't the nurse that she... I think she was the the nurse who was actually there, well, and, actually not the, and not the nurse who was the, okay. the, the angel, but... Either way, I was like, oh, man, did that woman like progress from being a nurse to a doctor? Did she go get her doctorate? And now she's talking to Scully on the video conference. thing. what happened? <laughs> and uh, and I, I mean, same thing with Terry O'Quinn. I mean, you know, I've, I've told you my, my little conspiracy theory. Well, yeah, lay, lay it on the people at home. Yes. 
the last character that he plays is Shadow Man, who is, um, you know, I don't think there is a name to this character, proper name, but he is one of the super soldiers who can, you know, regenerate from being dead. So I figured it could sort of be, you know, since the super soldiers change the names all the time anyways, he could have been that agent from Fight the Future who got blown up by the soda machine. <laughs> <laughs> He's so determined in that scene. Theory. Yeah. I, 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 I believe it. I totally believe it. I mean, you know, it's X-Files. It's like <laughs> the show breeds conspiracy theory. So why not? It does. <laughs> One of my friends actually recommended just watching the mythology episodes, just going through and watching all of them. And it actually makes season nine bearable. Like every mythology episode is just genius, he says. I haven't tried that. but If that's the way you're watching the series, I wouldn't recommend it because you'd be omitting some amazing stuff. Oh, but, absolutely. I mean, the mythology is great. So what, what's your feelings on season nine? Then you said it made, made it bearable. So not, not a fan then. It's the only one I've only seen like maybe one and a half. I just, especially going back, and maybe this is because of the age that we were when the show was on. But I mean, I used to read sites about movies all the time and, you know, who's going to be casted where and who's going to be the guest stars and stuff. But it never occurred to me that like somebody left because they just didn't want to do it anymore. Like Mulder left in season, at the end of season seven and pops up here and there in season eight. The fact that he was popping up in season eight still led me to believe that was part of the original story. Okay, Mulder's gone because he did get abducted and they have to find him. So even though there are episodes where it's not in there because technically he was just filming, you know, his movies, that didn't seem to me that that way. But going back now, older and knowing a little bit more about the industry, Hollywood. Yeah, there's kind of a wash. There's a, a very sad wash over season eight and season nine, especially season nine, where you actually see Gillian Anderson start kind of itching away. And it makes sense because they were make you know, they try to make Reyes and Doggett into the next Mulder and Scully. And, and I think there's a, a classic quote of Chris Carter that said, I just couldn't get them back anymore. Talking about his fan base. Mm-hmm. And I just can't help but think about that when I'm watching season nine. And I love season eight. I think season eight has some great, great episodes and one of the scariest standalone episodes also. Um, Just when you get to season nine, it's just so you can tell Gillian Anderson's not really there anymore. And um, a lot of the, the standalone episodes start becoming like a little too esoteric and not as inspired as the original monsters of the week. Then because they're filming in L.A. still and because Mulder's not there and there's no hint of Mulder even coming back at this point other than, you know, towards the end, it just doesn't it doesn't work. Let's switch gears a bit. Let's talk about actual conspiracies. Now, Nerdy Show has an episode dedicated to conspiracies. I, I highly recommend it. It is a, uh, a tour de force we talk to some crazy people. You, sh- you should listen to it. I don't want to spoil anything. It's very enjoyable. Uh, but uh, that was recorded years ago. There's There's been some different uh, different weird things going on. I mean, obviously, there's there's always new conspiracies out there. But uh, Lefty Lucy, uh, uh, oftentimes contributor to the show, pointed me in the direction of a very odd video, which I'll link to on this episode's page. Very, very disturbing. Uh, caution. Uh, you made experience disturbing imagery of uh, uh, two twin sisters, Swedish pulled over by the side of the road at a highway in Great Britain. They're sort of stopped by the police for some reason, and uh, they, this is a, a real video. I, the thing that you can attest to is that the video is 100% real. It's not faked in any way. It's impossible to be faked. It's the context that's that's fuzzy. But um, one of the sisters flings herself in oncoming traffic, and then the other sister flings herself in oncoming traffic. Neither of them die from this. One of them's leg is pretty much pulped, so she's not going anywhere, but she's conscious and, like, fighting. And then the other sister, who 
got hit by a car and dented the windshield. Uh, she's still going around and they are confused. They're asking for the police and they're talking to the police and they have inhuman strength and uh, fight the police. And then one of them jumps across the median to get to the other side of traffic. It's insane. It's one of the most insane things I've ever watched. And there's a conspiracy theory tied to it, which is very, um, very much ties into a lot of the, the themes of X-Files, which is these two identical twins who seem to have no bearing on reality may uh, be some kind of super soldier experiment, some kind of escaped things from a lab, or they're often referred to as the reptilian sisters, like as though it has something to do with the conspiracy of uh, a reptilian entity that controls a shadow government. It's a very complicated, convoluted, and multi-tiered conspiracy theory there, that one. the Kind of hard to even dip into the reptilians. Uh, it's it's so involved. But and the story doesn't stop there. One of them actually, uh, they, they went to the hospital. The one that wasn't injured got released from the hospital, and uh, she went on to uh, murder a dude after ranting about some kind of government business, and then uh, a foot chase with police where she jumped from one highway to another. So, Basically, it sounds like a horrifying sci-fi movie, and it really happened. And there's many, uh, many discussions online about what all that may have been. Could it have just been drugs, or is there something more to it? So uh, it plays out like an X-File, happening all too real in front of your eyes. And there's no Mulder and Scully. Yeah, <laughs> so it, well, that we know of. That we know of. Uh-huh. The truth, however, is out there. I honestly have no idea what the hell that was all about. Uh, after watching the doc- that documentary on YouTube, you're just, you just watch it. And you, I mean, it all is footage. It's all footage right there. And for a found footage generation, it's pretty unreal. I mean, what do you think? What, do you, I mean, what, do, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I remain a passive observer. I am in awe of it, but like, I, I, I have no jurisdiction to make any kind of informed opinion on that same here what's what's great about it is no matter what the explanation of this thing is it's still an x-file it, it <laughs> yeah. aren't, aren't, aren't all x-files pretty much uh they go um unsolved as the new comics uh, proving all of them are still kind of open yeah like none of them are really ever closed unless the you know yeah when, when, when did are. they get explained never yeah well, then it mean, would be yeah. fun i feel like a lot of them actually do get solved but you know not in a way that the fbi would ever accept i love i love yeah, yeah, the retcon that they did in the most recent issue with uh the the return of fluke man where yeah. they they use the uh the closing of x-files at the end of season one as an explanation for why further research on what was left of Fluke Man wasn't actually ever done. It's like, it makes so much sense. It does. Ah. It does. Yeah. I thought that was really smart. Yeah. I want that mystery. Like, I don't want, I don't want people to solve it. When, when I read about, you know, how the universe is very expansive, but yet, you know, it's unlikely that these are aliens that are in our universe because we did seen something by now. It's just like, yeah, that just that that bums me out. Like, I want them, dude. I want there to be that layer of mystery. Who's, who you know? says that? I mean, the like by virtue of the universe being so big, then the, the inevitability that there would be other intelligent life that is simply faster than light travel is so extreme. It's just it's so unlikely that anybody would have bothered to visit us in the whole of the universe. Well, a lot of people were, a lot of the writers that I've read were talking about how it would be unlikely just because of the distance to be able to make it here and to be able to have the technology that would not only necessitate the travel to get here, but to immediately vanish. I mean, a lot of it's under the condition that we don't assume the idea that there's smarter beings than us. Yeah. <laughs> that well, that's a mistake. Advanced technology, which that's is a mistake. a mistake. Yeah. But it does make you think like, especially when, you know, you find out that Roswell was more likely 
the United States testing a lot of Soviet technology and that they didn't want to spark a scare and that the actual alien thing was actually uh, that the alien story was the actual cover up, which sounds actually not too convoluted when you think about it. Um, <laughs> like, shit, I guess that does make sense. And then you're like, because I mean, especially after watching like Argo, when you're like, like, you're like yeah, if they'd be uh, willing to do that, then what else would they be willing to do? Well, yeah, and that stuff, I don't know, it just like bums me out. It's just like, ah, I, I kind of miss the, the, the days when I, a lot of that stuff was, you know, easy to, to believe in. Well, if we still have videos of two Swedish siblings going in. We do. Yeah. I think that is the best, the best one out there. Although I do, I do, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in religion, but there are ghosts. I say that with absolute 100% so certainty. Tell us a little bit about, about your experience because I'm curious. I want to hear about that. All throughout my life, there's been like kind of weird occurrences that happen. Like, started when I was little. There were like weird things that would happen in my house. And a lot of that stuff at a younger age were things that I look back in hindsight now and I go, well, okay, that makes sense. Like like TVs going on or um, things being misplaced within minutes. You know, I do think there's like some sort of science that we don't really understand yet with what happens with quote unquote the soul or what, you know, whatever happens. I mean, there is that, you know, when you die, your body does actually lose, what is it? Um, 21 20 grams. grams. Yeah which is kind of interesting. Maybe that's, you know, the air that you're breathing or, you know, maybe there's something there that we don't know, which is why when the later stuff that happened to me made it all the more frightening. When I moved to Chicago, my apartment that I lived in for two years, it was just an escalation of crazy incidences that happened. I mean, and this is the first time where I wasn't the only one that that saw it. Uh, My brother who visited, we would see things. And then eventually my fiance When I first moved there, my vinyl, I had bought uh, the new um, Bruce Springsteen album at the time, Magic. It's a great album. Um, (laughs) I uh, definitely recommend it if you haven't heard it and you enjoyed The Boss. Um, I bought it and it was a new vinyl. (laughs) And um, the first track is called Radio Nowhere. And it was just an afternoon, a regular day. So it's playing the vinyl and all of a sudden it starts skipping. And I'm like, God damn it, I just bought this. So I, I play it again, start skipping. So I move it ahead. And it goes back and starts skipping again. But then I notice, like, wait a second, it's skipping on the first track again. And then I start noticing the line. And the line is, and I kid you not, like, I know this sounds like such a fitting thing. And even this preface sounds like such a, a shoddy thing. But the line is, is there anybody alive out there? And what was crazy about that was it was on the first track and I skipped ahead to like third or fourth track just to see if the other tracks were going to work. And it went back to the first track. It didn't make any sense. Like, I don't. I don't know how that's possible. Like, you I mean something has to like move it to shift back or something. It was, it was weird. And especially that one line and it never did it again days later. Like it only did it at that moment. So then there was nothing, there's no scratches or anything. But then there was three incidents that happened over two years. The first one was I was up late at night playing guitar. And as I'm playing, I feel this icy something just go right behind my neck. And then the magazine was on my nightstand flings off of my, uh, my nightstand. And I was like, uh, God, okay. Or I left my apartment and walked around <laughs> Chicago <laughs> at two in the morning. And, um, Leaving the air and so I, bad, yeah. So then like, you know, I went back upstairs, watched Ghostbusters, whatever. It was fine. Um, <laughs> they hate this. And then like a month, oh, they hate this. And then my brother came up and as we were sitting in the living room, I'm showing my, my, uh, my parents, the, um, you know, the apartment I see behind, there's this like shadow. There's some shadow that just keeps bouncing <laughs> around my walk-in closet. And my brother turns around and sees it also. And my light was, all my lights were on because I just showed him the apartment. 
And my brother made that icy look and I had the icy look. I was like, what the fuck is that? And then my dad turned and it stopped. And, and the real thing happened a year later was, um, I'd been working on the internet towards the evening and, uh, all of a sudden I just got really, really cold. Like that. It's just like a, an icy feeling. And I turned to my left and <laughs> there was a, a figure walking through my bed and I wasn't on any drugs or anything either. And, and my, you know, like I'm, just, I'm on the computer and I, I just like, it just, I freeze. And I go and I hit the light next to my bed and, and then it's gone. And I, did, I just, I, I can't even like move. I can't even think about it. I was just like, what the fuck was that? Like, you know, what was walking through my bed? Uh, I mean, I, I think I was even talking to somebody online on Gchat. And I was just like, well, I just saw a ghost. And my, <laughs> you know, my friends and I just started laughing. And then a month later, this is how I kind of got some sort of confirmation of it. My girlfriend and my, now my fiance. I didn't tell her any of these stories because I wanted to be able to, you know, I wanted her to sleep in my place. <laughs> I wake up one morning and she's just staring up at the ceiling and she's wide awake. And I go, what's wrong? Um, you know, did you sleep all right? And she's like, no, I haven't, been, I haven't slept in hours. I'm like, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you wake me up? What's wrong? She's like, you're not going to believe what I saw. And she described seeing a figure and the description was very similar to the figure I saw. And it had been walking towards the window holding a rifle, like a bayonet type thing. And it, you know, just walked through and it looked, you know, she, she described it. And then I told her about, you know, what I had seen a month beforehand. And, and then she never wanted to sleep over. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we, would, we would come back and, um, and you know, and there'd be other little weird things that would happen there and there. And like things would be turned off or things would be turned on. And. Um, I found out that the actual place that I lived in was a hotel originally, and it was only like two blocks away from where the St. Valentine's Day massacre happened, only two blocks away from where John Dillinger was shot and killed. It was in Lincoln Park, which just to the south, the southern tip of Lincoln Park, there was a Civil War cemetery. I mean, there's just a lot of history and a lot of craziness that happened in Chicago. And I mean, I, I've asked, I went back and asked the owners, you know, did anybody else see anything when they moved back in? And they just looked at me like I was an idiot. And, um, and then I walked away thinking I'm an idiot. Um, and confirming that I am an idiot, um, which I've thought long for a very long time in my life. But um, it, it, it does make me think that, like, there is something. Like, I do think that there is something there. And I'm not a religious person at all, so I don't really think, you know, there's the spirit. And, you know, we go to the, the white pearly gates and then some people wait down here until Christina Ricci helps them and they go into the, the white light. Um, but I, I just don't, I just don't believe in that, but there is, I do think that there is something weird that has to, d to do with like what happens when we die. Thousands and, of years of human mysticism and unexplained phenomena suggest that there are sciences that we simply don't have sciences for. Yeah, exactly. Or in the words of Dana Scully, if all science fails, should we not then turn to the supernatural? And on that note, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show. Uh, for you longtime Nerdy Show listeners, you may be surprised that I didn't call this an episode of Nerdy Show Prime. That's because we're doing away with the Prime branding. It got too confusing. Everything's just Nerdy Show now. All the Nerdy Show episodes are Nerdy Show. There's not separately branded Nerdy Show episodes. But we are debuting a Greatest Hits button, where once the front page button said Nerdy Show Prime, which was basically uh, it was our, our blockbuster episodes for our biggest interviews, well, now those are just blockbuster episodes of Nerdy Show and... As such, we will have a greatest hits button and maybe in the future we'll have an ability where people can actually like, you know, vote for what episodes they like the most and they can 
random episodes could end up there, but we'll, we'll see. For now, it's going to be all, you know, curated selection of our personal favorites and our biggest interviews. So if you like what you heard and you've never listened to the show before, thanks for listening. And uh, we have, oh my God, so much content for you. You will literally never need to go anywhere else ever again because we have got your nerdy fix for everything all across the nerdy multiverse. Uh, so thanks so much for listening. Uh, bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Nina. Bye, I'm Mike. Taking us out, we have a classic tune from Paul and Storm. As they get balls deep in a paranormal phenomenon that Nerdy Show has had all too many encounters with, lycanthropy. Uh, We'll link to uh, our special lycanthropic problems uh, on this episode's page. But this track, this track is called Cruel Cruel Moon. And this goes out to all those monsters of the week out there. You're not just filler episodes in between the mythology. You're part of the adventure. We'll see you next time. Trust no one. Don't come out tonight Cause when you do My Emily Lou and me Are gonna have a fight They say the full moon's Meant for lovers But you're gonna break my heart Cause when you shine That baby of mine Will turn into a werewolf And rip out my throat And kill me Four weeks ago Me and Emily Lou Were on the North England Took port Late one night Against advice When I walk in On the moors she thought she saw a doggy underneath the full moon's light But when she tried to pet that doggy, it gave her a nasty bite Didn't think too much about it until this morning when I read There was some kind of monster out last night and 18 folks were dead My baby slept there next to me with blood caked in her claws Tattered clothing, guts and entrails clenched between her jaws Cruel, cruel moon Please don't come out tonight Cause when you do, my Emily Lou and me are gonna have a fight They say the full moon's meant for lovers, but you're gonna break my heart Cause when you shine, that baby of mine will turn on me And rip my lungs out and Julian my liver Every time you think you know someone, that's when they change again. So, Mr. Moon, can you help me out of this doggone fix I'm in? I lock my baby in the basement and reinforce the door. But when she's done lycanthropizing, she's gonna settle up the score. My finger's on the trigger of this gun full of silver bullets. But, Mr. Moon, I love my Emily Moon too much to pull it. My daylight's running out soon and this door won't hold for long One last chance now, Mr. Moon, won't you listen to my song? Cruel, cruel moon, please don't come out tonight Cause when you do, my Emily Lou and me are gonna have a fight They say the full moon's meant for lovers, but you're gonna break my heart Cause when you shine, that baby of mine will painfully transform Just like that guy from an American werewolf in London Then she'll tear my eyeballs from their sockets Then I won't see my baby anymore Oh hey, you made it to the end of the episode Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you Uh, Not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode. But if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com slash store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. 
And he says contribution gets you exclusive nerdy show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other nerdy show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store, and for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.